You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. So Jesus, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you have called us to live an authentic faith community. A church that you call a family because we are all sons and daughters of our heavenly father. And you being the first son have given us the pattern of what it is like to be a child of God here on this planet. And so we choose to model our lives after you, King Jesus. Lord, as we dive into this scripture, I pray that we hear with spiritual ears, that we allow you to to make any change within us, to transform anything within us that does not align itself up with who you are and what you have said and how your spirit is leading us this morning. Lord, we trust you. We stand on your word. And we pray for the grace to live it out by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So authentic community, friends. Again, a value. I'm just going to be just digging a little bit deeper. We, we believe kind of the value that when we planted the church um, back in 2010 that we carried was a relational value that, that we kind of adopted from the NCMI model. And it's this, it's relationship before function. And so what relationship before function means is that we value each other more than we value position, more than we value the organizational structure of church, more than we value, listen friends, ministry. That we value each other more than function. And so another simple way that Dudley Daniel, um, who was one of the pioneers of NCMI, he said this, he said, friends before function. And so this, I always love using Ken, sorry, because I love Ken and Ken loves me, so it's, it's safe. This friendship is more important than him being an elder at Restoration LA and me being an elder at Restoration LA. And so if, if my connection with Ken is solely based on the fact that we are elders in the church together, then that is completely functional and has nothing to do with my love for him as a brother and his love for me. And so I don't see Ken as Ken, a son of God in this house. I see Ken as an elder in the church. And so his, 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 my relational attachment to him is completely functional. How many of you have ever experienced something like that? And so sometimes this is what happens with church is, is things happen so, uh, so often on a functional level that we only see each other through this organizational chart of the church. And it's not what Jesus is building. We are saints who have called to be a body of believers and we have come together and more than this organizational structure that we see happen in the American church today, we are called to be a family of God. And being a family of God sometimes gets messy. Look at your neighbor and tell him it gets messy sometimes. Right? We would all agree that family is messy, right? Your family is messy. My family is messy, right? We would all agree that family is messy sometimes. And so we have the grace for that. And why do we have the grace for messy family? 
It's simple. I'm not, I'm not trying to stump anyone. Because they're family. We have the grace for messy family. Why? Because they're family. Right? Oh, that's just, that's just my cousin. That's just the way she is. Oh, that's just my sister. You know how she is. Oh, that's my parents. That's how they are. Like, like we, 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 have, we have this grace for family because God has placed us in this fa- that family. We didn't have a choice. That's a family I was born into. It is what it is. And somehow when the spiritual family that God has ordained us to be a part of, we detach ourselves as being an outside entity to this family. I've said this time and time to us as a people and as a local church that God places the lonely in family. And maybe that rubs you wrong because you're like, I wasn't lonely. I got a family. I don't need the, you know. Listen, spiritually, God places the lonely in family. He places the lonely in family so that we can be connected to the only thing that he is building on this planet, which is the church. God loves your family. He loves your family tribe. He loves the, 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 the family that you came from. And yes, there's value there. But I'm telling you, God is not only coming to pick up the Romero family when he comes for the second time to lift up his church. There's a lot of Quinteros in this room. He's not only coming for the Quinteros in, this, in as many of you as there is. He is coming to pick up his church, which is the family of God. And so we have to understand that this thing that God has called us to be a part of, it is unique and it is special and it is God-ordained. But friends, it is sometimes messy. It is sometimes messy. But we have to be willing to allow ourselves to be attached to this thing that God is building. Listen, friends, in real, authentic ways. Authentically. It is so easy for us to detach ourselves from this thing that God is building. It's so easy for us to say there's us and then there's the church. That's never the way God intended us to be. We are connected to the body of Christ. So we are better together than we are alone. We seek to, um, I'm sorry, we seek to be a community that God might dwell among, loving, open, welcoming, non-judgmental. Listen, friends, God should be given, I'm sorry, grace should be given freely when we encounter one another's faults, which you will do. You will, we will encounter one another's faults. We absolutely will. It's not, it's not, Steve pointed this out last week, right? It's not, it's not if, it's when, right? When you, when you encounter another's faults, we are going to give each other grace freely. Listen, friends, and scripture, can you say scripture? Scripture will be the blueprint of handling our differences and offenses as led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So let's dive into some of this scripture that helps us do that, can we? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 starts like this. Um, I, I, I have a, just a, if, if your Bible has a little kind of title above this portion of scripture, in my own opinion, it's probably wrong. And I'm not speaking about the holy words that are scripture. I'm speaking about the subtitles that some publishers and some of these versions have put over these, over these um, holy, holy verses. So mine says this, correcting another believer. And I just want to point out before I even start reading this, this portion of scripture, the heart of it is not correction. And I'm going to get into that. It's not correction. 
And then we see as we get down, it, um, we read through 19, and then there's a whole other portion of Scripture, and it says the parable of, of, unforgiving, of an unforgiving debtor. These two passages are not meant to be two passages at all. It's one portion of Scripture that Jesus is having in the same conversation, and we can't separate the two. And so I'm going to point this out for us today. Is that okay? Okay, it reads like this. Verse 15. If another believer, say believer, believer, and this is important for us. I need you to, to recognize this. If another believer, this is not the pattern of Scripture of pointing out to a non-believer. This is not the pattern of Scripture that we use for someone who does not know Jesus. This is the pattern of Scripture that we use in dealing with differences with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you say that? In Christ. Not outside of Christ. This is not about someone who doesn't know Jesus. This is not about someone who has abused. This is not about someone who, who has sinned against you in, in an in a, in a ungodly way. This is not about that. This is brothers and sisters in Christ within the family of God. Are you with me? Okay, so please hear with those lenses. If another believer sins against you, Go privately, can you say privately? Privately and point out the offense. Point out the offense. How many of you have read this portion of scripture? Right? We point out the offense. A brother, a sister has sinned against us. And I don't know what sin against you means, but I know what sin against me means. But let me kind of put it out there like this. If someone doesn't say hi to you in the church on a Sunday morning, that is not sin. I'm going to say that again. If someone doesn't smile at you on a Sunday morning service, that is not sin. That person might have had a bad morning. That person might not have noticed you. That person might not be an extroverted person who is very, like, shy and all that kind of stuff, right? We have to qualify what is happening here. If a brother or sister sins against you, what is sin? Gossips about you. That is sin. Right? Another brother and sister, I mean, does something intentionally harmful to you. I mean, there, there, sin is defined by lying, cheating, stealing, right? Gossip. There's all kinds of ways that we can sin against each other in the family of God. But I'm telling you, we have to be very clear about what those things are. And we can't let the enemy use small things that are not sin to throw us or thrust us into the middle of this thing, right? Well, this person hasn't said hi to me in three weeks, so I'm going to go to them and point out their sins to them. It is sin. They're, they're, I mean, just having an issue. Who knows, right? I mean, it'd be helpful for you to go talk to them and love them and whatever. But listen, we, we have to just be able to qualify that. You guys okay with that? Right? So we go to them privately. How do we go to them? Privately. I'm going to touch on all this after. Let me just read it. Privately, we point out the offense I once heard a sermon, and this guy actually pulled out while he was preaching a fence, like a piece of a fence, like a wood fence. And so he said, when we continue to carry a fence, what we start building is a fence. There begins to be a fence between two people, right? He had this whole like Home Depot pre-manufactured fence that he was carrying on the stage. This is what happens when we carry a fence in the family of God. We start building walls between each other, and I'm telling you, Jesus tears those things down. 
Jesus will not allow fences to be built within his family. It just doesn't happen. Just think about it. How many of you mothers and fathers, when you settle things with your children, when you're like, go make it right? Go make it right. It's your brother, your sister, go make it right. Go love them. Go forgive them. Your brothers and sisters, you're going to be brothers and sisters forever. Knock it off and make it right. Isn't that what we do? It's the same thing our heavenly father does. Go make it right. I don't have to get in the middle of everything. You can just go make it right because I've given you the power to make it right. Your brothers and sisters, you love, you love each other, knock it off, right? But while we allow fences to be built, oh, fence, and it just begins to divide. And then we see the church become so fragmented and so sectionalized. And then there's like, you know, oh, those people, oh, they're just nothing but clicks in the church. And you know what the people who hate clicks do? They go and make counter clicks. We're going to go hang out with them. Well, fine. We're just going to make our own group. And it just, it's, it's, it's honestly, God, I mean, not God, guys, it's witchcraft. It's witchcraft. This is not the family that Jesus is building. Are you with me? We go point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, then you have won that person back. You've won that person back. But, but if you are unsuccessful, then take two, uh, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And this is not someone who, who you have already gathered to your cause. This is not someone that you have already, you know, kind of given all your ammunition to and already told them all your side and said, come with me, let's go sort this person out. This is a person who loves you, who loves that other person, and who's going to kind of mediate that thing and love you both through this thing. Because the goal, listen, friends, is not to be right. The goal is reconciliation. And so many times when we want to deal with offense, we deal with the, from, a, from a point of wanting to be right and wanting to be justified. That's not God's heart. Justice, let me tell, us, tell you, friends, justice is God's work. Justice is God's work. Reconciliation is our work. Do we want to be right or do we want to be reconciled? And so when we want to be reconciled, we don't give someone all the ammunition they need to help us go put this person on blast with us. We bring them, them with us for the cause, listen, friends, of winning them back, of making this, this relationship right. You guys cool? Go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. So it comes to, to the council of the church. And so honestly, friends, many people have used this, and, and there's a term that we don't see in Scripture that people use, excommunication. Excommunication. And so we use this portion of Scripture to excommunicate someone from the church. We've gone and we pointed out their sin. They don't want to hear us. They don't want to listen. So then we take someone else with us, say, hey, this is what has happened. This is the offense. This is the sin. They don't want to listen. So then we take them before the church. It's a three-step process if we're looking at this soul scripture alone. It's three steps, three times, and you're out of here. And this is how some churches and some people, organizational charts use this. All right, they're in step one of the process of excommunication. Honestly, friends, and we might not think like, oh, but we might not think like think that, that. But when we when we're dealing with personal offenses and someone has has hurt our heart or someone has hurt our ego or someone has hurt our pride, we 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 fall in line with this very quickly. Well, I've already gone to them, and they're not listening. 
we have to recognize the heart of God in this passage is reconciliation. Amen. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. That's harsh. But it's here. And it's in Scripture. And I, I, I want to tell us, when it comes to being an authentic community, we should never get beyond step one. There's just no way we should be on. If we love each other like Jesus loves us, we should not get beyond step one. Because what happens is I, I have an offense with Steve Martell. So then I'm going to go to Steve and I'm going to say, brother, I've been offended by something you've done. And because Steve loves me, I'm pretty sure he's going to say something like, dude, I never meant to offend you. But this is what was happening and this is what it looks like. And even though we might be in disagreement about what went down, we can choose that we love each other more than this thing. And so then we, we hug, we have some coffee, maybe we eat a burrito, and then things get awesome again. And I'm not trying to minimize it, but friends, this is how we settle stuff as a family. You see kids, you just tell them, go ask them, go say sorry. And what do they do? They go say sorry, they share, they, they share some, you know, some fruit snacks, and then they start playing again. This is how we've been created to be, and somehow we've lost, we've, we've lost sight of that, that we are better together. And we just want to feel like, well, I'm better off alone. You know, I don't know. Screw that group or excuse that word if it's offensive to you. <laughs> right? We, 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 we carry some of these things. And I'm telling you, friends, there's so much at stake when it comes to the kingdom of God for us to be fighting within the family of God. There's so much at stake. There are people who are dying and going to hell. And we're all arguing about how, how to reach them. We're all arguing about our small stuff. I mean, it's, there, there's, we have to put this in the context of the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Verse 18, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid. Listen to this, friends. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid in heaven and whatever you permit, I'm sorry, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And this is what Jesus is telling them. When you are together, when you are united, you can move heaven and earth. There is so much more at stake than these small offenses that we're carrying. Yes, there is a process of dealing with, with offenses and dealing with sin in the church. There's, there's a process of you connecting with your brother and reconciliation. But think of this. Unity is far more powerful than your division. Because when you're unified, I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. This is the power of unity. This is the power when you and I choose to be one, united in Christ. The next part, I also tell you this. If two or three agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. And so they're asking Jesus about division. And what do I do if someone offends me? And Jesus is like, okay, this is what it looks like. This is how you settle it. But I'm telling you, that's not the important thing. The important thing is that you're together. And when you're together, you guys can move mountains. That when you come together, when you're authentic community, true authentic community, anything that you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Anything you ask your father for, he will do it because you're united. There's a greater focus for us as a church. This is what authentic community looks like. This is what authentic community is. Um, is this is what, this is the authentic community Jesus is building and has been our prayer since day one. That we would be this.
For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am among them. There's something exponential when we connect on a unifying level. Are you with me? The heart of this passage is reconciliation. You can read this passage on how to excommunicate someone from the church, or you can read it on how to win your brother and sister back. And our heart is always reconciliation. The Bible says if anyone sins against you, right? Against who? Against you. Go privately. Go privately. Don't go rally other people to your cause. Don't be telling other people, this person sinned against me. Can you believe that this is what she did? Can you believe that's what she did? I mean, that's the world does that stuff. The family of God doesn't do that stuff. If someone has sinned against you, yeah, but I, I'm sticking up for the person who doesn't know how to stick up for themselves. Or you can encourage that person to do what the Bible says. And so many times we fall into traps, friends. We fall into traps. Someone starts whispering a little something in their ear, and all of a sudden we say, our back starts getting a little rigid. And I'm telling you, there's more secondhand offense in the church than there is firsthand. This is what secondhand offense is. Someone hurt your friend in the church, so now you're offended that they hurt your friend in the church, and you have not encouraged your friend to go and make it right biblically. You're now carrying your friend's flag of offense, and it didn't even happen to you, and it might not even happen in the way that your friend said so. And I'm not saying it's not real, and I'm not saying it didn't happen, but what I'm saying is unbiblical for you to carry that flag. And if you are carrying the flag, I'm telling you before God today, lay it down. It's not your offense. Don't carry someone else's offense. Don't carry secondhand offense. I'm telling you, being, being a pastoral family, one of the hardest things for Vanessa and I to do is to protect our kids from secondhand offense. There is so much that gets thrown at, at, at pastors and pastors' families. There is so much that can, that can just penetrate a family. And I'm telling you, you know, whatever happens, and one of the hardest things to do is guard our kids from that. Because what happens with kids is they, become, they, they learn to resent the church for the offenses that have been thrown at their parents for years and years and years and years. And this is why we see pastors' kids mostly leave the church right? But this is also what happens in the family of God. We don't protect our other brothers and sisters from offenses. We don't protect them in ways that we're like, listen, that's not your job to, 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 to settle that stuff. It's very easy for us to jump on board with them. It's very easy to back them up, especially in our culture, right? What'd you say about my mama? Like, right, it's very easy. Like, you don't say something about my family. You don't do that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, we operate on a whole other level. We operate on a whole different level. We have to recognize that we don't do what the culture does. We do what Jesus has asked us to do. Um, go first, go to them first, go to them alone. This is the blueprint. First and alone. Are you with me? If you rally people to your cause to gain ammunition against the person you believe has sinned against you, you have now sinned against them. And you've just created uh, this, this, this matzo ball that, man, is, was never meant to be. You with me? Go first, go alone. Maybe today you're saying, yeah, but I'm not confrontational. Right? So I had to go to my other brother or sister to just have them help me learn how to do this. Friends, this portion of scripture 
is not about confrontation. It's about reconciliation. And so maybe you're not confrontational. I pray that you're not comfortable with confrontation. We shouldn't be comfortable with confrontation. And I know a lot of people be like, well, you know, Hispanics and Latinos, they love getting in each other's face, and I'm just not like that. Like, no, I don't know anyone who should love confrontation. Nobody loves that. But we should love reconciliation. This portion of Scripture is not about confrontation. It's about being reconciled to your brother and sister. That's the heart of it. Are you with me? Being reconciled. Let me help you with this. If, if, if our primary goal in Matthew 18 is to point out an offense, then we are being justice-driven. We want to be right. If our primary goal is reconciliation, then we are being driven by Jesus. We want to be reconciled. That's the heart of God. Are you guys with me? You cool? So this is about reconciliation, not confrontation. The heart of confrontation is judgment and criticism, and this brings division. The heart of reconciliation is forgiveness and grace, and what does this bring? This brings unity. And that's what we want in authentic community is unity. <clears throat> but then we get to the second portion of Scripture, and it's not, it's not a different portion. It's all blends in together, because let's read together um, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, so this is in the same conversation. So Jesus says, this is how you deal with, with, with reconciliation. This is how you win your brother back to you. But I'm, I'm praying that you will choose unity always because when you're unified, you can pray to God and God will move mountains for you if you would just do it together. So then Jesus comes to this place because, you know, obviously it talks about forgiveness. <clears throat> Jesus came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Because a religious person would have heard verses 15 through 20 and said, we only have to forgive them three times. We go to them once, we go to them twice. We go to them a third time, and if the third time it still doesn't work, you're gone. So Peter thought he was going to be really like super, you know, religious guy and be like, well, if your standard is three times, then Jesus, how many times must we forgive? Seven times? Right, because seven's a holy number, Right? Seven's a holy number. Seven times? And then Jesus in verse tw um, 22 says this. No, not seven times. Seven time, or 70 times seven times. 70 times seven times. And the religious heart would also say 190 times. I think I've done that. <laughs> I think if you've been married, you've done 490. Easy. Um, Right? Right? If you got brothers and sisters, 490, that happens by the time you're two. I mean, like that, that, that happens quickly. If you've been in a church for longer than two years, yeah, 490 happens quick. It's seven times the holiest standard that you would ever set for your 70 times the holiest standard you would ever set for yourself. So if your holy number is seven, it's 70 times that, whatever. It's exponential. If, you're, if, if, if you're, your holy platform is seven, then God is asking you to go ten times that platform. Go further. Go deeper. This is the heart of God. Listen to this. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but seven, uh, 70 times seven. Listen to this, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. 
In the process, one of his debtors was brought to, to him who owed him millions of dollars. How much? Millions of dollars. And he couldn't pay. So his master had ordered him to be sold along with his wife and children and everything he owned to pay the debt. Now, this is not Jesus promoting slavery. This is not Jesus promoting any of this. This is a, a real-life situation that took place in the context of, of, of biblical times with the Roman Empire and slavery and all this kind of stuff, okay? It's a, it's a parable that Jesus is using that they would have understood because this happened. That slave would have been sold into slavery with all that he had because he wasn't able to pay a debt. Are you with me? Verse 26, but the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him. Listen to this, friends. And he forgave him of his debt. Isn't this what Jesus has done for us? The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm going to repeat that. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus has provided a way by his death on a cross for each of us to be reconciled to our Father by the sacrifice he made on the cross, freely to be released from the debt that we could not pay. Are you with me, friends? Listen to this. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him, listen friends, a few thousand dollars. And he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. He grabs him by the throat and demands instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him. Does this sound familiar at all? Fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I will pay it, he pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put into prison until the debt could be paid in full. Friends, this portion of scripture is in direct coalition with the portion of scripture about how we are reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ when it comes to unforgiveness and when it comes to offense. Somehow, we hold people to standards that God does not hold us to. And let me make this a little more clear. Sometimes we hold people to standards that we don't even hold ourselves to. So we are so worried about the offense and the sin that a brother and sister ha has done against us. And I don't know what that could be for you. I know what it's been for me in the past. I don't know what it could be for you, but for whatever it is, Jesus is asking us to have a heavenly perspective of what you have been forgiven for. He is asking us to put in context this sin against you and, and, and your brother in Christ. It could be a lie. It could be an offense. Maybe, you know, you, you went out to Chipotle and he says, hey, I'll sell you that money and never did it. And so you're walking around all uptight about something. You've you never done that to me, Josh. You're good. All right. Whatever it is, whatever those things that we hold, and we hold those things, and, and, and we're tense, and we're angry, and we're holding all this stuff as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we, we can in no way, shape, or form have perspective of what Jesus has forgiven us for. We forget how far that we have fallen for grace. We forget the things that we have committed against other brothers and other sisters and other people on this planet. We forget all of that stuff because we're offended. Jesus is asking us to hold the two in balance. 
to hold these two things in balance. The man, when he left the king, I'm sorry, verse 31. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They saw this servant who was forgiven so much grab this servant by the throat and want to put him to account for what he has done, right? This, this servant who has been forgiven so much immediately wants to start the process of excommunication for this brother and sister in the church. Some of the others, other servants saw this. They were upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man that he had forgiven and said, you evil servant. You evil Servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. You came to me and you asked me forgiveness and I gave you forgiveness. I forgave you of millions, right? Shouldn't you have, uh, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid the entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters. Listen to me, friends, from your heart. I very often hear people say, oh, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Friends, that's not from the heart. The heart of God. This is the heart of God. God is able to forgive as far as the east is from the west. And I know this is supernatural because we are, probably don't have the ability to do it. But the Bible says he doesn't even remember our sin any longer. He has the ability to forget the trespasses. We see in, in, in 1 Corinthians that love holds no record of wrong. It holds no record of wrong. And I wonder how many lists are we keeping? How many check marks are we keeping? You know, maybe we haven't gone through the process of excommunicating someone in our life, but, but we, have, we have a tally card. All right, that's once. Oh, there's two. Oh, this is definitely a pattern now. Right? We, we, we start recognizing these things, and we don't hear the heart of God. Listen, friends, if we are going to be the authentic the community that God has called us to be, this has to be our first nature. This has to be our first nature. This has to be how we operate. This has to be the operating system, the value system that we carry if we are going to get to where God has called us to be. Are you with me? I'm going to um, just point out a few things for us. Here, here's some killers, killers of authentic community. This authentic community that we're desiring to be, these are killers of that. Number one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will, will kill the authentic life of a church. And it could just start with one person. I'm telling you, friends, it comes, all the devil needs is a foothold. That's all he needs. He just needs, he, he, is, he is so, and, and, and listen, friends, I, I learned to not pick personal fights with the enemy, but Jesus has given us authority over the enemy. So I say this in the authority of Jesus, this dude is slimy. And he is slithery. It's why he's called the snake. Man, he slides into places. We, 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 have to recognize this. It takes the smallest opening for him to slither his way in. Unforgiveness is a killer of authentic community. Number two is misuse of the tongue. Misuse of the tongue. 
whispering something to another brother and sister about someone else. Misuse, gossip, misuse, lies, misuse, slander, misuse. Number three, judgment, which comes along with a critical spirit. Judgment will kill the authentic life. Listen, judgment comes from a place of comparison. If you're comparing, I mean, if you're comparing yourself to someone else in the family of God, I mean, how wicked is that? These are your brothers and sisters. You should, there's nothing worse than seeing brothers and sisters compete against each other in an unholy way. I'm not talking about, you know, sports and stuff like that. Like, honestly, friends, we're not competing with each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be cheering each other on. We should be rooting for each other. We should be the first ones in line to high five and hug and embrace and celebrate what God is doing with other people. Judgment is the anti-spirit to that. Number four, dishonesty. Dishonesty. We could say lies, but I'm telling you, a lot of times we, we don't operate in flat-out lies, right? We're not, I don't believe the people of God are just flat-out lying to it. But dishonesty also means, friends, withholding the truth. Withholding the truth. We're unwilling to have holy, truthful conversations with each other. And you know how this gets demonstrated within the family of God? Passive aggressiveness. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just put this out there. Just please. Passive aggressiveness is manipulation. And manipulation is defined in the Bible as demonic. If you are passive aggressive, I'm telling you, friends, deal with that heart condition immediately. Passive aggressiveness, I'm telling you, if you're holding grudges and you're like doing stuff and like, oh, I just won't show up to the next meeting then. That's passive aggressive. Oh, I just won't say hi to her then. That's passive aggressive. You, you, you want to hear some crazy other kind of passive aggressiveness? Well, I'll just withhold my tithe from the church. Can you imagine that? I'm offended with someone in the church and until that thing gets made right, I'm not giving to the church anymore. You don't give to the church, you give to the Lord. You're being passive aggressive against Jesus. Like you're hurting yourself, not the church. Like th those are things that matter. Honestly, here, here's things that happen when you see people who are offended with the church, right? Their attendance starts slipping, right? They, they stop gathering with the, with the family of God. And then their financial giving starts to slip. It, it, it's, it's an unhealthy matrix, but I'm telling you, it's a pattern that, that you can see in the church. Like, oh, I'm offended, so I'm going to stop giving. God, it's passive aggressive. Don't. Don't play that game. Don't, don't do it. Have healthy, honest communication. If you're offended, go to your brother. If you're offended with the leadership, go to the leadership. Whatever it takes to be reconciled in God. You with me? <sighs> um, patterns of sin kill authentic community. Listen, if you're struggling with something in your own life, I'm telling you, sometimes because we're doing everything we can to cover that up and hide it, that we're in tension with what's happening in the body of Christ. Deal with it quickly. Um, number six, lack of communication. Man, we can't make things right if we're not talking. I can't tell you how many times where I've just sensed that someone has something, you know, something with me. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit doesn't lie. And so if I'm feeling like someone has something and the Holy Spirit tells me something and I go to that person, I'm like, is there anything going on? Is everything okay? Like, yeah, everything's fine. We're good. I'm good. Like, whatever. I'm like, like no, we, we have to talk. We have to communicate. Don't, don't shut your brother and sister out. Open up. Talk about it. Lack of communication kills authentic community within the church. We have to talk. We have to communicate. Number seven, lastly for this, is the lack of connection. 
the lack of connection. It is easy to cut someone off that you have no connection with. It's easy, right, to put up a wall of offense with someone you do not have connection with. And here's why we have lack of connection, busyness of life. If you are too busy to get with your brothers and sisters in Christ, something's wrong. Honestly, if you're too busy to connect with brothers and sisters in Christ, something is wrong. We have to make our lives available to this community that God has called us to. Listen, friends, what happens here on Sunday morning is amazing. But what happens here on Sunday morning is not real a connection with each other as much as we would like it to be. And so the expression of authentic life happens more outside of these walls than they do in these walls. Acts 2.42 is the pattern of how we connect. We meet in each other's homes. We share meals. We pray. All those other things that we, we try to express within the family of God. These are the things we give ourselves to. I'm going to tell anyone who is watching online, please do not take this to heart. If you have medical reasons why you're not here, be free from what I'm about to say. But if you are not here for any other reason than medical reasons, you need to be in this place. You need to be in this place. There is something that you cannot get from a screen that you get with in the presence of God's family and in his presence. You need to be in this place. Lastly, the promoters of authentic community would be this. Number one would be the opposites of everything we just heard. Forgiveness. If we are going to operate in authentic community, forgive freely, forgive quickly. Number two is the proper use of the tongue. James tells us we have the power of life and death in this tongue, right? The proper use of the tongue. Man, we can encourage and bless, right? James tells us, man, you, how is it that we have fresh water and salty water coming from, from the same place, from the same source? Man, we can't live like that. We have the power to bless with this tongue and encourage and prophesy and speak good things. Let's use this tongue to bless, not to tear down. Are you with me? Number three is, uh, um, so we had judgment. The opposite spirit of judgment is encouragement, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the prophetic foundation, right? Words of edification, encouragement, uh, and comfort, right? Are we using this tongue to encourage? Are we using this tongue to root each other on? Um, number four is honesty. Listen, friends, honesty. I know people like to use like adverbs like brutal honesty. Godly honesty is not brutal. It's loving. It's not brutal. But like honesty stripped down is being able to be honest. This is how I'm feeling this is what it felt like when you said this to me. This is what it felt like when, you, when, when, you, when that action took place. This is, we get to do that. We get to have open, honest communication. And because we love each other, we have to be able to hear that and receive it and respond in a way that is godly. Are you with me? Number five is not, not the patterns of sin, but a repentant lifestyle. A repentant lifestyle. Listen, friends, as one of the elders in the life of this church, there is nothing that you can do in your life that, that is going to surprise me. Outside of being surprised, like, man, I can't believe that you did that. But surprised, like, oh, God, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. You just did that. I'm telling you, there's things that have come across. This is a very ungodly term, but just hear my heart. Come across my desk. That is surprising. Because I know 
your hearts and I know who you are. There's things that, but honestly, friends, not in a way that's going to make me reject you because Jesus doesn't reject you. And if we aren't living authentic community and able to, to, to deal with each other's failures and deal with each other's stuff, then what are we doing here? Honestly, what are we doing here? We have to be able to, to walk through that kind of stuff. We have to be able to love people through the other side, whether they've sinned or fallen or made a mistake. We have to be able to love each other through that. And as much as our leadership team extends that to you, I pray that you're able to extend that to, to our leadership team, who, who are men and women, who, who are not perfect, who, who breathe and eat and everything else that you do, right? Um, Last, last two, two is where there was lack of communication. We need to have real communication. And, I, and how I, why I preface it with real, it's very easy for us to come in and meet and connect and do all the Christianese stuff, right? Hey, brother, how are you? I'm good, brother. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed, brother. We could do all the surface, scratch the stuff, you know, all the, um, real communication, people. Real communication. Not just this surface stuff. If we don't have the ability to be real with each other, I'm telling you, authentic community isn't, isn't, isn't a reality. The, ch- the church that we see Jesus building in, in, in the New Testament was real and it was raw and it was messy and because they were in each other's lives and, and we, the communication was real. We get to, I mean, just think about how Jesus spoke to the disciples. It was real. He, um, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block for me. I mean, there was real communication I mean, he was Jesus. He gets to say some of that stuff. But I'm telling you, we have to be able to be real with each other. We have to be able to tell brothers and sisters, like, whoa, you know what? That wasn't right. Like, you need to fix that. Like, we have to be able to have that kind of, and we have thick skins everywhere else. We have thick skins in the workplace. People in your job can tell you anything at any time, and because you're getting a paycheck, you put up with it. But when it comes to this thing in the family of God, it's like, oh, did you see them? They just cut in front of the line when I was trying to get my coffee. We, we just have issues. We have to get over it. Real, real communication. Lastly, connection, connection, connection. Absence does not make the heart grow fonder. Not in the body of Christ. We need to be connected. We need to be connected. I'm going to land with this, and we're going to have communion this morning. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 17. I'm just going to read. I'm not going to expand on it. Since God chose you, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderness, I'm sorry, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Amen. Pam, would you mind coming on stage? I'm going to ask you all to prepare your hearts for communion this morning. My heart, honestly, 
is with open skies. Every one of you is living this out, and there's no issues. If there is, the Bible says before you can take communion, that if you have an issue with your brother or sister, you need to go to them. Because this is a receiving of something powerful that God has given to us as a gift. We remember his body that was broken and remember his blood that was shed for us. And if we cannot take that, this communion with a, with a clean conscience, that under heaven, we are not holding unforgiveness under heaven, that we're not holding an offense against our brother and sister, there's not walls that we put up, that we're free to take this. And if you're not, I believe you can make that right today. God is so gracious and God is so good. Let's take on the character of Jesus. Let's be free to forgive. Free to forgive. And let's be free to take this communion with a clear conscience. Jesus, as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, we remember what you did for us on the cross. You paid a debt that you did not owe. And because of that payment, we freely have access to our Heavenly Father. And we are so thankful for that gift. And I pray that we would never withhold that gift from anyone else in our lives. That we would never put anyone in bondage of unforgiveness or, 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 or bondage of offense and withhold them from being able to have access to this same reconciliation that we have been given so freely. As we take communion, Lord, we honor you. We remember your blood and your body that was broken for us. Have your way in us this morning. As you feel free to come get communion, um, there's some individually wrapped breads. Um, there is cups here. I'm just going to ask that you be careful with your fingers. I know it's a little tight up there, but um, but just come and take communion. Uh, the bread, if you, it's big enough for multiple people. If you want to break bread with your family group or someone with you, you, you know, you just have to get, just get one. And, and just before God today, let's, let's just be free to have communion with Jesus and with each other. Amen. Amen.
yeah, be free to take your communion. Yeah, and yeah, pray and partake. Yeah, go for it. You don't don't wait for me. Thank you, guys. Um, if if Val and Lynchon are available, I'd love to invite them up so we can pray for them. I know some of you are still being ministered to in communion, but I didn't want to um, lose this opportunity. Um, the Lord has opened up some doors uh, in Mexico and it's been through the, the pioneering heart of, of Val and just going to a region that he has a heart for. And, and so it's just amazing to see what happens when you when you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so, um, Val, if you can just maybe tell us where you're headed and, and just a, quickly like some of the stops are they're planned and then we want to pray for all of it so yeah so um i met 
this uh, guy in Guadalajara when I was out visiting family a couple years ago. And uh, just through prophetic words that God had for him um, and just the friendship that we ended up building during that time, uh, he uh, was an addict and now he goes and he evangelizes and shares the gospel with uh, different rehab centers. And in Mexico, there's, or at least in Guadalajara, there's hundreds. So through uh, humor, he dresses up as a clown and he goes to all these rehab centers and he shares the gospel. He's able to uh, um, talk people through, uh, through salvation and uh, also uh, baptisms. Um, so we're going with him um, to quite a few number uh, in three days and just uh, uh, also sharing testimony and praying for people. So this is what we're doing. Uh, it's very encouraging what, um, what God is doing out there through him through his ministry, and we're just able to be a part of that. And hopefully in the near future, some of you will be also able to come, and not just this, but there'll be other different opportunities. Absolutely. So we uh, have sat down as a church, and we'll talk next week about sending out and some of the areas the Lord is opening up to us as a church and, and how we want to go and minister. And this is one of the areas that the Lord has opened up just through a connection. And uh, so if you guys wouldn't mind just uh, extending your hands to Linton and, and Val and Lord, we, uh, we send these men with our full hearts. Lord, we pray that by your spirit that they will go in power and they will go in strength. Lord, we pray that you will open up significant doors. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the connections that you have given us. Lord, we pray for fruit. We pray for salvation. We pray for um, disciples to be made. But, Lord, we also pray for the established church that is in, in this region. And Lord, this, this, um, the church, not just one church, but Lord, the church that stands in this region. And Lord, that you will continue to use apostolic ministry to blow wind into their sails and Lord, to strengthen and, and encourage your church in that region. That is such a, a desperate region. That is such a, a region is so ripe for the gospel. And so Lord, we bless these men. We send them with our full hearts. And Lord, we say, um, make a way where there is no way. Lord, where, where the river is flowing, we pray that they will jump in. But if there's hard soil that needs to be chiseled. Lord, I pray that they have the, the discernment to just hunker down and, and start digging, God. We pray for more activation in the life of this church to for those who will go and be sent. And Lord, we are thankful for um, the, the beginnings of, of all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Hey, Restoration LA, we love you guys. Have a great week. Um, don't forget, next week, we do have a worship service. So, hey, um, we hope you all come out. So, See you soon. Bye-bye.